0: Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives, our podcast about the ideas shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today, we're discussing financial crises. It's often said it takes a decade to turn current events into history. So says Tamim Bayoumi, Deputy Director in the Strategy, Policy and Review Department at the International Monetary Fund. He says it at the beginning of his new book, Unfinished Business. I've got a copy of it here. It says on the front, the unexplored causes of the financial crisis and the lessons yet to be learned. So now, a decade after the start of the financial crisis, the worst since the Great Depression, is it a good moment to ask how much more secure is today's financial system? Can we predict and even prevent the next crisis? But how do you define what a financial crisis is?
1: A financial crisis is a time when the financial system stops functioning smoothly causing widespread disruptions to flows of money to firms, people and governments, that then cascade through the economy.
0: So, Tammy disruption cascading through the economy, it sounds terrifying. How frightened were you 10 years ago when you saw this unfolding in the economy? Well, I was very worried. I think a lot of us thought that this was potentially the start
1: of the Great Depression. And I think that... One of the things that we learned over the response was that people had learned from the Great Depression, and that faced with a very surprising turn of events, the US policymakers at least did respond quickly and reasonably effectively in terms not of stopping a very, very deep recession, but probably uh, stopping a depression. The same is less true in Europe, where of course there were much deeper wounds, and the crisis lingered for longer. So I think there you can argue there was a
0: depression. But your book title really says it all, doesn't it? That that was then, but there is unfinished business, and uh, you focus on the unexplored causes of of the financial crisis and financial crisis in the book. Yes. One of the things that I point out
1: is the central role of the Northern European banks in the original crisis. So... It turns out that the large northern European banks expanded very fast over the late 90s and early 2000s, and in fact provided a lot of the financing, both for the bubble in the United States, the housing bubble, and for the bubbles in southern Europe. And that's part of, I think, the unexplored causes. Most of the current work on the crisis goes through what happened, rather than how it happened. The idea of my book is to say, well, how did the failure of Lehman Brothers
0: cause, uh, say, a huge depression in the entire North Atlantic region
1: and in the the Euro-area depression?
0: And here we are ten years gone, but in a way unfinished business because the recovery isn't really complete, is it? I mean, it's unfinished. We're not really at the end of the crisis in some ways. No, I think that that's absolutely correct. Um, You
1: can see the world a bit, the economic world at least, as being before and after 2008. Before we believed that in growing prosperity and policymakers who had their fingers on the pulse, afterwards I think there's been low growth and an increasing questioning of expertise with social and political consequences that remain to this day and are being
0: shown day by day. I suppose the the other issue is we're always busy, aren't we? We learn from the last crisis but we're always busy almost preparing for next crisis on the basis it might be like the last one. Hmm. Uh, and that must be hampering us as well as, as, we, as we make our way forward because the next crisis is always around the corner, but it's always something we haven't thought of.
1: Yes, I mean, clearly a complete rerun you would expect to be seen. There's a very good book by a couple of economists called Ken Rogoff mm. and Carmen Reinhart, this time it's different. Mm. So what happens is the basics of a financial crisis, which is excess credit created by the private sector going into runaway asset price inflation, which then collapses, mm. is normally pretty standard with the backs collapsing because they don't have enough backing in terms of capital buffers. The details of each crisis, however, are different, which is why you're able to convince yourself this time is different.
0: And they, and they say, don't they, their view is very much that in this sort of crisis that we had this time, it's always lengthier in the recovery hmm. uh, because of the nature of this particular type of financial collapse crisis. Yes. I mean, what happens is when you get severe disruptions in ba- the
1: banking system or the financial system in general, you break a lot of the cords between people and between companies. And that takes an awfully long time to re establish. So it's a bit like what happened in the collapse of the Soviet Union, thinking about mm. the EBRD, which is again, you know, whatever you thought about the Soviet system, it sort of worked. And when you actually broke a lot of those cords, you caused a very big recession. And I think there's an element of truth about all financial crises, which is that there are those un. Uh, unfollowed sort of personal linkages that matter a lot. And when suddenly firms
0: go unexpectedly bankrupt, you lose a lot of that institutional capital. And then when you look at perhaps two big drivers, of economic drivers, the U.S. banking system and, let's say, the euro area, how do you think they're doing in terms of their recovery from this crisis?
1: Well, I think that the U.S. has done rather better. I think it took rather better measures afterwards. In particular, one of the things I identify as causing problems in the U.S. was a division where the commercial banking system was much better regulated than the investment banking system, and the US has now brought those two together, so they're both being equally regulated. In Europe, on the other hand, much of the reason for the large expansion, particularly in northern European banks, were things called called internal risk models. Mm -hmm. Now, the Europeans have raised the capital requirements, but they still use internal risk models so that banks are able to use their own models to define their own capital buffers, which is probably not Mm. a great idea. In a regulatory sense, that doesn't sound too good. (laughs) No, and uh, next year it may well change, Mm. but we'll have to see. The devil, as always, will be in the details.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's life yeah. uh, Are do you think are financial crises predictable are they preventable or, or do they always come out of left field I mean because you could argue in the case of this one you know this now looking back nine or ten years all the signs were in the wind if you chose to really look
1: yes Well, I spend quite a lot. The the answer is, in theory, they're always predictable and preventable in terms of the fact, as I said, that actually there's a similarity in financial crises in terms of there's too much money, it goes into banging up asset prices, and that turns into a problem later on. What makes it difficult is working out that that's actually what's going on, not some great boom which everybody Mm. should participate in. I spend quite a lot of time in the book not only describing how the crisis came about, starting, by the way, in the 1980s. Some of the mistakes were made in the 1980s. And by 2002, most of the structures which caused the crisis were in place. So if you want to know a difference between my book and many others, Mm. it's that really it's the prequel to the boom that matters
0: not the boom itself. So in the 80s would you point for example to the fact that uh, investment banking and, and normal high street banking became entangled? That, that, that actually, what, what sort of things do you think well, would we look at in the 80s? Yeah. In, in Northern Europe what
1: happened in the 80s and the 90s was two things. The first was the large banks became what's called universal mm. banks and that meant, as you say, that they intertwined commercial banking which is lending to firms, lending to individuals, mortgages, things like that, with uh, investment banking, which is buying and selling of assets. Now, then in the mid-90s, they were allowed to use their own internal models to then define the capital behind their investment banking operations. And they expanded very fast. And as they say, they provided a remarkably, well, a, a quite large amount of the financing of both the US and Southern European bubbles as a result. In the US, the story was different. The commercial banks were under bank regulations, but the investment banks, despite being called banks, were actually not banks for regulatory purposes. They were, they were under much looser regulation. So what happened in Europe was the large banks became increasingly unsafe. What happened in the US was that increasingly the commercial banks sold their loans to increasingly fragile shadow banks centered around the investment bank. And that's the story I tell. And as I say, it was largely in place by 2002 and then in 2003, a very obscure decision by the Securities and Exchange Commission, which I will not bore you with, Uh, uh, brought the two
0: halves of the crisis together. You're listening to Pocket Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas help to change people's lives. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today, we're discussing financial crises with our guest, Tami Bayumi, author of Unfinished Business. Uh, and Tami, what more needs to be done right now? I mean, it's easy to try to look at the past uh, and try to put it in some sort of context. But it's always difficult, isn't it, to put into place the building blocks for preventing the next crisis? Yes. So if you
1: look at the last crisis, I think that the US has taken care of the difference between commercial and investment bank regulation. Mm. That's been done quite nicely. In Europe, there are still, there's still quite a lot of unfinished business though. For example, the major banks are still present under uh, their, internal, their own internal risk models, although that may change next year. As I say, we'll have to see what happens. In addition, there are various other weaknesses. For example, while the euro area has improved support for countries who get themselves into a crisis, uh, that support is still very dependent on you having to admit you're in a crisis, and it would be better as always, to give money early. But that's not going to happen under the current arrangements.
0: And how do you see the role in preventing the next crisis of, of the big IFIs? You know, there's the International Monetary Fund, mm. obviously has a role in keeping an eye on economies. Uh, the EBRD in our way in the way mm. that we, we, we strengthen financial institutions. Is there a role, do you think, that we can all play as international institutions in order to, to help strengthen the resilience of, uh, of economists? Oh, certainly. At least, you know, it's often easier for an outsider to see
1: something's going wrong mm. than for an insider to see it. The insider sees all the benefits. Whereas an outsider come in and say, well, that doesn't look like it's going right. So I think there's a very important role for people outside coming in and saying, by the way, I think you need, you know, a stronger banking system or whatever. The secret in all of
0: this is convincing the other side that you're Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say to you, isn't there a point where complacency sinks in because, because countries think, oh, well, we're recover- recovering nicely now. You know, our memories are a bit more distant of all the horrors of the past few years. And then they become more reluctant to accept the sort of advice that we might be giving, the IMF might be giving, other people might be giving. Yeah. Yes. Look, you know, uh, the reason that crises continue
1: to happen is that they're both difficult to identify, but also there's an element of willing disbelief. Right. That uh, you know you don't want to admit that there's an issue because uh, you know the way I put it is everybody's having a party, everybody's drinking champagne out of their cowboy boots, and you know why wouldn't you want to boring to take away the drink is that right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So the IMS managing director Christine Lagarde, she said recently didn't she that she wouldn't rule out another financial crisis in her lifetime, but she also notes yeah. the unpredictability of all of this. What do you see looking down the line in terms of future financial crises and, and timings?
1: Well, for a start, timing of financial crisis is essentially impossible. You know, what you can see is the underlying things happening, but exactly when the dam will break is, is really impossible to tell. In terms of things, you know, we discussed this in our latest Global Financial Stability Report, which comes out every six months, and you know, Asset prices look richly valued in many parts of the world and you do have to wonder whether at some point those prices will come down. Now they could come down, they could be genuine or they could come down slowly but the history of these kind of things is that quite often they don't come down.
0: They do come down, but they don't come down that slowly. With a bump. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I was thinking actually about timing of things, you know, we, so we had 2007, eight, you know, we had uh, the late nineties, Asian crisis. Yeah. We had the eighties crisis in 87, you know, and, and so there is almost a 10 year cycle in these things, you, you could argue, and I wonder whether that's to do with memory as well, that also we do become more relaxed about things the further away we get from the, the last crisis. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I've got an entire chapter in my
1: book mm. on this. Um, basically, I start actually even earlier. I start with the breakup of the Bretton Woods mm. system in the early 70s. So I have five crises. Right. Good uh, you have the breakup of Bretton Woods and then the Latin R- American debt crisis, then the ARM, yep, yep, etc. Yep. But, yes, it does seem to be a pattern of where... And what's interesting about these crises is that they have a very similar modus operandi in terms of the fact you have debt flowing into countries, not equity, equity mm. financing seems to be quite stable, debt flowing into these regions of the world. And then at some point, everybody deciding that this isn't a good idea and withdrawing that money very, very fast. And then as that starts solving, the debt goes and looks for somewhere else to go. Yeah. So, yes, if you take approximately once a decade, then clearly,
0: (laughs) you know, but one doesn't want to be too mechanistic about these things. (laughs) I'll try to counter any pessimism (laughs) as well. Um, Thank you very much, Tamim Bayoumi, and your book, Unfinished Business. It's a fascinating read. I can recommend it. If you're interested in learning more about this subject, you can find out more, of course, on ebrd.com. Meanwhile, share your thoughts with us at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud, and ebrd.com slash podcast to download previous episodes. We, of course, would welcome suggestions as to the topics you'd like to hear us talk about. Until next time, goodbye.